If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Amen. Friends, we are in week two of our Breathe series. Have you been breathing a bit better this week? If not, maybe I'm going to count to three and just take a deep breath for a moment with me. Are you with me? Let's go. One, two, three, and... Let it out slowly. If you don't know it by now, breathing is actually very good. <laughs> it's essential to life. When you are out of breath, it creates problems in your life. When you don't take enough breath, it creates an issue. Breathing is so good for you. It relieves stress. It helps digestion. It helps with headaches. It helps you sleep better. It's a very good thing, and that is you don't even have to take a pull. You can just open your mouth and breathe. So one last time. Just take a deep breath with me. And out. How beautiful and wonderful is that? I wonder if you just think about your own spiritual life. What does it mean to live with a, a life filled with the breath of God? Sometimes we get our place, uh, we get ourselves at a place where we feel out of breath spiritually, emotionally. And my friend, this series is actually to help you to not come to a place where you feel, I don't have breath in my lungs on a spiritual level. What we've said last week is that the Barnard group did a study amongst young adults and found that only 10% of young people today in the Christian church actually live from a place of power and joy and connection with God. It seems like most of us struggle to actually bring our Sunday faith to a Monday life. It's as if we struggle to be filled with the energy of God in our lives. It's as if we, you know, we're part of the church, we sit under teaching, we worship, we're in the groups, we're doing all of this, but it's as if the connection is not always made in terms of breathing deep of who God is. And what we want to do in this series is to actually empower you to live a life filled with the breath and the glory of God. In Psalm chapter 34, the message paraphrase said it so good. It says, I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with His praise. I live and breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. You see, many things in our lives go wrong if we don't breathe properly. Any um, athletes here who's long-distance athletes, um, mountain climbers, all of that. The trick is, Dalis, the trick is, where is Dalis? She finished, uh, what? 21 to Oceans, does say. Yeah, and she's 30 years old. Come on, people. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that. She inspires me. That was Lielak. I'm going to pay for that. I should think before I speak. But the thing is, in, all, in the, uh, uh, the athlete world, you know when you get tired, what do you do? The first thing you do is you concentrate on your breathing. Are you breathing shallow? Uh, is your breathing connected to your body rhythm? It's all about breathing, my friend. And when it comes to breathing spiritually, 
actually what we're talking about, we're talking about being in awe, being in wonder, being in relationship with God and taking deep breaths from His very being. And when we, you know, exhale, it's worship or praise that comes from our lips and our lives. And what we want to do tonight is something very specific when it comes to worship and your personal walk with God is to make sure, yes, we take sometimes, we, we find ourselves in a place where we struggle to breathe spiritually, but now we sometimes go to different, you know, we grab onto things to make us feel, you know, better. And sometimes we take deep breaths of impure air, if I can put it like that, polluted air. So, those of you who don't know, the city in South Africa with the most air pollution. Anyone wants to, you know, grab a hold of that? Sasselberg, I hear that. Hmm? Sasselberg, anyone else? Cape Town? Johannesburg, absolutely. Santon, people. Yes, all of you have got, you know, Dreams to be in Santon one day. Yes, you will be there for a short time. <laughs> Santon, the place in South Africa with the most air pollution. The place in South Africa with the least air pollution. Anyone? Bloemfontein. <laughs> Have you seen the winds when it comes from Brandfontein? Anyone else? The place with the least, most pollution. <laughs> least most, the least air pollution in South Africa is Naisna. Yes, Tsitsikama. Have you ever been there? I mean, if you just walk in those woods and you take just a little breath in, you're like, whoa, okay. I mean, we used to bloom. <laughs> so when you come there, you're like full of life and energy because the air is pure. When it comes to our spiritual lives, I think sometimes we take breaths of what we call impure or polluted air. Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 1, where Paul is actually explaining the reality of this. So you're welcome to turn with me in your Bible, and let's read from verse 20, Romans 1 verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature, big words, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So it's, Paul is actually saying that God's eternal power, His divine nature, the fullness of God has been clearly seen and understood from the things in this world that we see and live with every day. And he says, so that people are without excuse. So the whole creation is crying out. There's a God who's full of eternal power and there's a God of divine nature. And then Paul goes on to say, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave Thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen to this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. What Paul is actually saying in essence is if you want true worship in your life, you need a God that is not polluted by man-made images of Him. When you want to take deep breaths from who God is, you have to make sure that you don't settle for a domesticated, man-made version of God. Real worship comes from the place where we see God for who He really is. But it seems like right through the ages of humanity, all of us have been actually trying to domesticate God to reduce Him to something that fits our lives and our understanding and our needs and our perspectives. And in a sense, we create a preference for what we want God to be in our lives. And the fact of the matter is, when that is your reference of who God is, your worship will always be unsatisfactory and shallow. It's only when you see the fullness of who God is the glory of His being, the, the inexplicable richness of His glory. It's only when you grasp the fullness of Him when worship comes from your life. So I want to show you quickly in Scripture how this plays out. So Exodus 20, God is speaking to His people and He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image. And the moment I read that, most of you are thinking about a little idol or that thing in your garden that your grandmother said, take that out, it's demonic, you know, or this little Buddha kind of thing. But actually, you'll see now in a bit that it's not referring to that. It's you shall make no, uh, not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. It's only when God is worshipped exclusively where we can start to understand what it means to really worship Him. And it's as if in our human capacity we always want to we want to replace this God with something that we understand that is controllable by human efforts, that is manipulated by human intervention. So I made a bit of a study in the Old Testament to go and see what the people did with God. So it's all of the, you know, Old Testament gods in the different nations. They had this, you know, reference that, yes, there is a divine being out there just the fact that there's a creation around us, but now they're figuring out what is this God all about? So the Canaanites, they worship Ashtaroth, the God of fertility. Also, Baal, the God of crops, to bear crops. Chemos, the God of the Moabites to give them victory in battle. Dagon, the God of the Philistines, the God of water and grain, Marduk. Yeah, that's a beautiful name. Don't call your kid that, Marduk. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, God of the Babylonians, God of fertility, 
Milcom, the God of the Ammonites, the God of divination, seeking knowledge of the future. You see how people throughout the ages is trying to domesticate God, tame Him, to make Him understandable and relevant in our own lives. And obviously, even in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 17, Paul rocks up at Athens, the, the city of Athens, and he see all of these, you know, little statues of the God, and there at the end is a statue that says, unknown God. And Paul is saying, I want to teach you about that God, the one that is unknown to you. I want to make him known to you. So there's this crazy story. God is walking with his people, and at a moment, he's inviting them up the mountain. He wants to meet with his people. He wants to make himself known, explain his heart and his intention with them. So Moses actually goes up. He's the only brave one. The rest stays there at the bottom. And what happens is the Israelites here uh, underneath watching Moses go up, see the thunder. They see the, you know, stuff going on there. It's, they hear the sound and everything, and they are scared. I mean, is poor Moses coming down, you know? And what do they do? They construct a God, a man-made God that fits their preference and their image of what they think God is. So they constructed a golden calf. All of the ladies gave their earrings. Well, we don't wear golden earrings. Anyone with golden earrings, you are very blessed. Guys took off their watches. We don't wear golden watches, so... The Samsung sport watch will not help. But they took that and constructed a golden calf. And they said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. A.W. Tozer said the following. Listen to this. This is so profound. He says, left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. In our human capacity, in our human nature, that's what we want to do. You see, the Israelites had no reference up until that point of a God whom they can trust in. All of the people around the world at that specific stage, they wanted to control God. They wanted to make Him manageable. They had no reference that there is a God who you simply can trust in. They did not have Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He brings me out to still waters. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me. His rod and his staff is leading me. He's preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies. They had no reference that there is a God, the God of the universe, in whom they can simply trust in. He's not manageable. He's not manipulatable. He's not controllable. 
He is the God of the ages. You see, something in us as human beings, we want to domesticate stuff, tame things. Any one of you maybe tried to tame or domesticate an animal recently? I know some sheep farmers here. Anyone uh, uh, who had a tamed or domesticated dog at home? Anyone? Okay. The rest of you wild dogs or what? No, we're in Africa, people. Anyone tamed a bird? Anyone? Fish? (laughs) You can't tame those things, man. They are just wild. (laughs) Children? Anyone children? (laughs) I'm still trying to. Yeah. (laughs) These documentaries we watch on Discovery and... You know, those of you who have money for DSTV and stuff, but we watch these documentaries about these crazy guys who wants to tame wild animals, crocodiles, snakes, lions, and somewhere in the journey, they always turn out to be wild. Comes back to bite them. So when I grew up, we had many animals, and my dad brought a bird back to our place one day. It was a lorikeet. Have you ever heard of that? No, because it's a demonic thing from hell. It was something between a parrot and a hyena. (laughs) Like, when that thing grabs a hold of you, uh, you're stuck with it on your body, on your person, for about an hour. And my dad obviously tried to tame the thing. So he would, you know, read articles, talk to pet shop owners, did not help farmers. He would do his research to tame this thing. And whenever he thinks, you know, he's he's ready to come into the open now, he would bring it to the family, you know, gatherings. And it would go very good for like 15 minutes. And then this thing would just grab someone and it's blood everywhere and crazy. You see, you can't tame an animal to the place where it's safe. How much more? We cannot domesticate God. You see, if you take deep breaths from a domesticated God, a tame God, you will always come out short. So through all of the ages, I've just made a summary of all of these gods throughout the Bible, and we came up with three categories. Fertility, Fortune and foresight throughout human history. That is our aim, is to get a God who would help us to be, you know, successful, to have fertility. Things would go good for us, you know. We would always have enough if we can just get God, you know, figure out this God. And do what needs to be done, the offerings, the sacrifices, the prayers, then that God would give us what we want. Another example, fortune, good luck. You know, if we can just figure out God, that He would give us good luck, that we won't have suffering, sickness, pain, calamity, brokenness in this world. 
If we can just, you know, roll the dice, double dice. In our family, we spoke about a double dice. Okay, it seems like I'm the only one. If God can just help us that it doesn't land on one, but it always lands on a six. If we can just figure out this God so that we, our lives always end on a six, then we have a God that would work for us. Good fortune. And then foresight. Future. If we can just get God to show us tomorrow, to show us one year from now, one month from now, maybe what will happen in my career. If I can just figure out how to tame God to the place where He would show me my future, then I would have a God that I would be happy with and that I could live with. How many of us struggle with that fear of the unknown? My future, my job one day. And it's as if this fear or this uncertainty takes us to the place where we are obsessed with getting information from God to show us our future. That's why I brought this little crystal. Don't come near it. I think it might be possessed or something. These stunnies were the crystals, you know. I see good things in your life. Your ex will come back. It's always that, you know. Your, uh, or... (sighs) Tomorrow this time, someone would call you and it would change your destiny. Great sums of money is coming your way. (laughs) I prophesy that. (laughs) I mean, for us as young people in the world, well, you as young people in the world, (laughs) this is a massive challenge. You say a few years back, what would happen is your parents, they would be in a specific trade And you as a guy or a girl would just, you know, follow in their footsteps. You know, you're a lady, so you are a housemaker, you're a mother, you're a caretaker, you're a teacher, you're a nurse. Your mother was that, you are that. Guys, you know, you will take over the farm, you will take over the business, you will be part of this. It was easy just to fit in, although sometimes they, you know, superimpose that on you. But in our day and age, it's as if life is an open canvas. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be the captain of your own destiny. The world is your oyster. Just go for it. And that sometimes creates a lot of anxiety within us. Because what if I, you know, take the wrong step forward? What if I, you know, miss my destiny or miss my calling? And you know what, friends? I think here's the thing. Life with God is not to get fertility or good luck or, you know, he will predict my future and help me there. Life with God is a journey of trust. It's an adventure to live. The difference between traveling with a GPS and a compass. GPS, you go, you know, that Tony says, no, turn right, turn left, you know, Life with Christ is not like that. Life with Christ is a life with a compass. You're going there on the Drakensberg Mountains and all you have is a compass. You know the direction is in the, you know, we're going that direction. 
but I need to trust Him every step of the way. God is not a fortune teller. He's a father who wants to lead you in His love. You see, friends, this, the Israelites at that stage, at the bottom of the mountain, they were confronted with the unpredictability of God and they were confronted with the fact that God is scary. And something in them said, let's domesticate him. But here's the secret. For you to be a worshiper of this God, the first step is to enjoy, is to have reverence and wonder, not for the predictability of God, but for the otherness of God. The fact that he's not like you, that he's not constricted to your life, that he's above and beyond what you can ever dare imagine. God is not like us. Isaiah 55 said the following, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, worship happens when you are confronted with someone that's other than you, that's greater than you. Wonder comes in your heart when you look at God and you say, Lord, I am flabbergasted with your beauty. I have absolutely no reference of the magnitude of your being and your ways and your thoughts and your plans. But Lord, I'm in awe. I stand in awe of your beauty and your glory. Matt Redman, one of the most influential worship leaders on the planet, said the following. He says, otherness, the otherness of God gives us a sense. Do you guys have that quote? Yes, let's read it together. Otherness gives us a sense that God is so pure, matchless, and unique that no one else and nothing else even comes close. He is altogether glorious, unequaled in splendor, and unrivaled in power. He is beyond the grasp of human reason, far above the reach of even the loftiest scientific mind. He's inexhaustible, immeasurable, unfathomable, eternal, immortal, invisible. The highest mountain peaks and the deepest canyon depths are just tiny echoes of His proclaimed greatness. And the blazing stars above, the faintest emblems of the full measure of His glory. That is the God that we serve. We don't have a tiny, tamed, domesticated, reduced God. We serve the God that is not like us. That should give you hope. That should give you assurance. That should give you the posture to worship Him. We don't settle for polluted air. Anyone here a fan of Bruce Springsteen? I know it's before your time, but I mean, the songs are just incredible. Bruce Springsteen fans. You know what? He was actually known 
not for his incredible musicality or his uh, skill on the instruments that he played. He was known for making the mundane, everyday things of life sound magical and beautiful and awe-inspiring. Let me give you some of his, you know, best songs. Born in the USA. When I read it, you're like, you're so incredible. It's like I'm writing a song, Born in Bloemfontein. <laughs> and it makes top charts in the world. Streets of Philadelphia. Streets of Vigar Park. <laughs> Another song, The River. Come on. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing. He had the gift to make the everyday mundane things of life sound magical. You know what? Sometimes in worship, we make the holy things of God, the glory of His being, we make that sound very extra, you know, just mundane, simple, human. We reduce the greatness of who he is. So, okay, Eugene, I, I get you. How do I then leave my preference of God? How do I leave this image, this man-made image in my mind of who I want God to be? It's actually not that difficult. You start with the person of Jesus Christ. Why am I saying that? It's for this reason. Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. You see, God did not domesticate himself in Jesus. He came to reveal himself in Jesus, in bodily form, in the image of a man. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, friend, in Jesus, the otherness of God came to live among us. The unpredictability, the scariness of God was made known in a person, Jesus. He came in bodily form to demonstrate who this massive, unfathomable, inexplainable, God is. That's why we start with Jesus. And now you're thinking to yourself, okay, so should I just get more knowledge of who Jesus is? No, that won't help you. To know him and to know him is two different things. You see, to know someone on Instagram, TikTok, WhatsApp status, that's great. But to know someone 
to intimately know a person. That is what I'm referencing to. To know Jesus. Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17. Maybe the worship guys can join me on stage. He's praying for his disciples and he says, Now this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God. Jesus Christ. Whom you have sent. You see, to know this God is not to domesticate him, to make him smaller, to make him understandable, to really know him, is to firstly be in relationship with God the Son, Jesus. And when you look upon Jesus, he is the exact representation of God. I think in the modern church, we've lost the art of meditation. The moment I say that, you're thinking Eastern vibes. I'm not speaking about that, my friend. I'm speaking about what the word calls meditating on the God of Scripture. Meditating on Scripture. Actually, the Hebrew word there is to chew on. You know, that, that incredible thing that you, you chew on and you suck out all all of the juices, the flavor, the incredibleness of that bourgeois when you bite into it. That is the word meditation here. It's to actually take the scripture and not only fly by it, but actually dive deep into it. Let the scripture read you. Not you read the scripture. That's what meditation is all about. To know Christ. He's the living word. We start with the scripture. We start with the word. To know him. He wants to make himself known to you. So what we're going to do in a bit is we're going to make space. And we want to create space in our service tonight for you to come and just take a next step in knowing this God. This Jesus that we're speaking about. So I want you to take a moment. Maybe you need to move out to a space where you feel comfortable. Maybe you want to come and sit here in front. And all that we're going to do is we're going to have a scripture on screen from Psalm 23. And we want you and invite you to meditate on it. So not read it and let your mind wander, but actually read it and let it read you. To chew on it. And to look for the truths of who God is in that scripture. And ask the Holy Spirit in that moment, Lord, apply this to my life. That is meditating on the scriptures. So Yaku is going to just minister to us in song. Maybe you want to take your Bible with you. There is going to be a scripture on screen. But let's take a few minutes and just breathe deep. Not of polluted man-made images of God, but breathe deep of the true God, the one true God. Let's pray. Lord, God, we are tired of modern constructs of who you are. 
We want to breathe deep of who you really are. I pray, Holy Spirit, that in our minds, as we read these scriptures, that you would nourish us just by who you are. That you would feed our souls. That we would be filled with the greatness of who you are. The unpredictability, the otherness, the holiness, the greatness of who you are, Lord. We ask, Lord, to lead us in a true revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, we pray that. You're welcome to maybe move out if you want to or just sit there where you are and the scripture is going to be on the screen. And let's just take a moment to breathe deep of who God is. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.